we've gathered here to give recognition to the Lord, sing praises to His name, give thanks at the remembrance of His name, and to encourage our hearts as well. Well, this morning I would like to preach a message to fathers. This is a day recognized as Father's Day. And so I would like to speak about fathers and two fathers. And as I was trying to recall whether I had ever preached a message like this before on Father's Day, I could not recall that I have, but I may have and simply forgotten, but I do uh, think it's a, an important topic for us to consider. In 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So I realize this morning when I speak about fathers, I am speaking to a mixed group in that some of us are older fathers, and most of those I believe in my age and beyond, uh, no longer have our earthly fathers with us. They have gone on to their reward. I'm also speaking to younger fathers who are learning the ways of a father and teaching and instructing your young children. Perhaps your father is, is yet here that you can relate to him. And then there's some of you who are not yet fathers and perhaps looking forward to that day when you might be fathers. Well, the whole topic of being a father is, is complex. Unfortunately, there are many things that could go wrong. And perhaps you are familiar with the things that do go wrong. So what I'd like to do this morning is speak about different aspects of fatherhood or being a father that the scripture speaks about. And so wherever you find yourself, uh, you can possibly relate to it in one way or another. There are, well, let me put it this way, all of us have a father. It is possible, and there are some people in this world that do not even know who their father is or was. Um, for some, the father has left the picture uh, either by negligence or sometimes by death. They're removed from the, from the picture. 
of a of a life. And some have a father into old age, but all of us have a father. Now the blessed hope that we can have today is that we recognize our heavenly father and that he has called us to be his sons. And that relationship should be precious to every one of us, Um, young and old, men and women, we have a father. We have a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us. If in this life we experience the absence of a father, and there are, there are those who, for, the, for whom that's a reality, that can make life, uh, diff, life choices and life circumstances difficult. And some have even pointed to that as being the chief cause of many, many troubles and ills and emotional distresses. And I believe it's true in, in, a, in a great measure. There is much distress in our land when fathers are absent. However, if you are in a place where your father was absent or perhaps negligent, or not not fulfilling his God-given responsibility in some way or another, there is hope for you because you have a heavenly Father who cares for you. And when you put your faith and confidence in that Father who will never fail you, you have a sure anchor for your life. And I believe in a great measure you can recover from any uh, distresses that may have come upon you if you will fully yield your life to him, your heavenly father. So I'd like to begin our study this morning in fathers as, uh, as an example. Fathers are to be an example. And we as sons are to take example from our father. Now let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 14. I should mention maybe before I get further is as I was considering whether I had ever preached a message like this before, it also struck me that when I preach a message on fathers, it will no doubt expose my own weaknesses and shortcomings as a father. That's uh, simply a reality to be reckoned with. And may the Lord help me, because I know I have had many shortcomings and many failures as a father. And if you feel reproved for the message this morning in any way, 
please receive it as the word of God. Not uh, my intention to uh, target anyone other than myself. I want to preach in a way that challenges myself, not just uh, the rest of you out there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Though ye have 10,000 instructors, that indicates that knowledge can be acquired from many sources. You can learn much from many different men, but ye have one father. And here Paul was appealing to them as the one who had begotten them in the truth. He had apparently led them to Christ, pointed to them the right way, He says, I have begotten you through the gospel. He preached the gospel, and in that sense, he became a father to them, a spiritual father. And he's making comparison to an earthly father who begets sons. He says here, as my beloved sons, I warn you. Now, He uses the term beloved sons. We'll look at that a bit later, but the the relationship is there. And as a father, he has a natural concern for his sons. And in that, he endeavors to set an example. And he actually appeals to them to follow that example. As he says in verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, Be followers of me. Now, in one sense, it is natural for sons to want to mimic their father. That's evident in little sons. It should be true of spiritual sons likewise, and it should be true of older sons. They want to do what daddy does. And they want it to be just like him. And so when two-year-old son sees his father's shoes sitting there beside the chair, it's great fun to slip his feet into them and walk through the living room trying to move these big shoes. Well, and that's kind of funny. We chuckle and we cheer them on and, yeah, go for it. But it also represents a bit of a principle in that sons want to do what their father does. They want to be like him. They want to look like him. And they want to, uh, want to follow him. And therefore, as fathers, we should be concerned about setting a good example. In this passage here, I believe Paul lived in such a way that he could make this appeal, be followers of me. 
In another place, he mentioned that they should be followers of him as he is of Christ. And that is true in all cases, I believe, but can we live our lives in such a way that we can say to our sons, follow me as I follow Christ? So that's a principle of fatherhood is there is an example set. Fathers should be concerned that they set a good example and sons should be concerned that they follow their father's example provided of course that it's in Christ. Let's look at another passage in regard to this and that is in John chapter 5 verse 19 and 20. John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that he may marvel. Now again we have the aspect of loving mentioned here. We also have example. Jesus looked to his father for an example. And he said, What he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So Jesus himself set a pattern here to follow the example of his Father. He looked to his Father for an example, and he followed it. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. There is something in that relationship where a father should be calling his son to his side and showing him how things are done and teaching him by example. Now the next point I'd like to speak on is that the scripture tells us plainly that there needs to be a turning of the heart. Let's look at Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Malachi chapter 4. Verses 5 and 6, and this is, these are the very last words in the Old Testament. He said, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And then... 
A parallel passage is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. I'd like to read that as well. Luke 1.17, this was a prophecy concerning John the Baptist. It says, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the thought here is that the hearts of the fathers being turned to the children and vice versa, heart of the children to the fathers, is a requisite for the coming of the Lord. God wanted that to happen before he comes and he says there in in Malachi that lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Things will not go well if the fathers are not turning their hearts to their sons and the sons not turning them to the fathers. There will be a potential for curse there. And here in Luke chapter 1, speaking of the ministry of John the Baptist, who was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. This was one of his efforts, was to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And what I want to emphasize here is the importance of us as fathers. Here I'm speaking to you as fathers to turn your hearts to your children is there needs to be a continual effort in that direction. There are many things that uh, may cause us to turn away or back off or slack off in doing so. And this is the admonition that we turn. Emphasis there on action of turning. And likewise, of course, uh, children to their fathers. To turn their hearts. As I said at the beginning, there are many things that can go wrong. But I believe it's God's will for us to be making constant adjustments. It's not good enough to have done it 10 years ago and neglected it today. You need to keep turning, turning, turning. I thought of an example from practical, my experience in machines. Uh, We have in the past used power washers with a burner system that produces hot water, and they are complex systems. There are many things that can go wrong. And one day I was having a good deal of trouble with one of them, and I tried to go through the system, checking each component to make sure it's working, and I could not get it to function. But finally, I did find the problem, and it was the thermostat. Now, I liken the thermostat to this turning of our hearts because a thermostat, which controls the temperature, is regulating the whole machine. Now, there are other components that can fail, but the thermostat sets the tone, the attitude, if you will, (laughs) if you liken it to a father. 
And in this case, the problem was that when I put a test instrument to this thermostat, it showed that it's functioning. And so I concluded it works and continued checking other parts of the system. And it wasn't until I tested it under load, I discovered the thermostat would fail every time. When it was actually supposed to function in the system, and the reason it didn't show in a test instrument is because the test instrument simply puts a very light load, and it showed that it works. But under real life, it didn't function because it couldn't bear the load. So let's not be fathers who are have all our theology uh, just right, and under test or questioning, it appears like everything is fine. But when it comes to actually putting it into practice, we come short. Make sure that adjustment is correct. On another occasion, different machine, I had a, a problem with it. You would be using it, and everything was functioning fine, but after a while, this uh, you weren't getting cold, hot water anymore. It was cooling off significantly, and finally, we identified the problem is that the thermostat under load would begin to decline. Apparently, the vibration of the machine or whatever, it would get less and less and less, and when you showed up, you were thinking, well, that's not where I had it set. No wonder it's cold. And so you'd shift it back to its proper place, and in the passing of time, it would decline, decline, decline. So let's not be fathers who are negligent. And gradually, over the passage of time, our hearts decline and decline and decline. That's a reality we should be aware of as fathers. Keep turning the heart toward your children and children to their father. It's something that is under load. It can tend to decline. Okay, moving on to the third aspect of fathers. This is a tough one. It has to do with chastening. Let's read in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 13. Proverbs 3. Verse 11 to 13, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the father loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Now let's turn to the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12.
Hebrews chapter 12, this same passage is quoted and expanded upon. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had our fathers of our flesh, which corrected us and gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward he yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now it is a reality that the scripture gives clear recognition to that chastening is not pleasant. It's not pleasant for the son who receives it. And it's really not pleasant for the father who gives it. But for the son who's receiving it, the the scripture makes it plain here that it should be received even though it's not pleasant. Now, as as a little child growing up, they don't have much option but to receive it. And God has designed it that way, that we should teach them early and teach them well, teach them at an early age to be subject to us. And there are many... Proverbs that uh, outline how that should be and some details. But what father is he who doesn't scourge his son or correct him? And if earthly fathers do it, then wouldn't our heavenly father do it also? And, of course, the passage here is is telling us that our Heavenly Father does chastise us and that we should receive it and welcome it. We should submit ourselves under his chastening as evidence that our Father loves us. Now that's not quite natural. It's something we have to work at. As sons, we should accept it as from a loving father. Now, for a son, it may seem, as it says here in verse 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Actually, it was verse 10. 
that I wanted, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Now, what that really means there, after their own pleasure, is not talking about it being pleasant, but rather that it was according to their own thoughts as to what is best. That's, that's what that passage is really trying to say. So for a time, it says, a few days, and I believe that's referring to the time, the whole time of a childhood. It's calling it a few days. As it seemed best to our fathers, we were chastened. Now, there are a lot of things that could go wrong in that. There are fathers who... Um, are not kind and perhaps do not love their sons as they ought and perhaps get angry and and are in reality cruel. That is not at all what the scripture is saying should happen. That is an evil that should not be ever found among us where discipline is just done in anger Our Heavenly Father doesn't do it that way. Our Heavenly Father always does what is right. And unfortunately, we as earthly fathers, we don't always get it right. But we should make every effort we can. And by the grace of God, I believe we can. We can do it right. Uh, but if a, if a man is not... Uh, in subjection to the Father, his Heavenly Father, and is pursuing his own selfish and carnal ways, he may, even though his son deserves some discipline or correction, he may do it in error of anger and all those kind of things. There's many admonitions in Scripture that it ought not to be so. But discipline... even though to the son it may seem like the father is just pursuing his own feelings and desires. And Proverbs makes it clear that there is a natural hesitancy of fathers to actually administer the discipline that may be needed. If you love your son, it may seem like withholding discipline would be a sign that you actually care for them but not so. The father who actually loves his son will be willing to endure a bit of emotional um, control, if you will, and administer the discipline that is needed in a loving way. And that should not be thought of as wrong or evil. That should actually be a sign that you love your son. So chastening, whether you are a son receiving it or a father administering it, do it in the fear of God for the love of your son and the son receive it for the love of the father and be chastened thereby. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous 
Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And that indicates that we need to apply our hearts to the discipline to receive its full value and understand it. Okay, the next point that I want to speak of is that of love. And this is, I believe, by far the most important. Let all things be done in charity. If a relationship between a son and a father and a father's responsibilities are properly carried out, there is going to be love. Love will be the ruling um, guide of a relationship. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3, which is the passage I quoted at the beginning. We're looking here at the example of our Heavenly Father and His relationship with His Son. First John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Behold, behold. And the call here is to consider, consider earnestly what manner of love, the the depth and height and breadth of that love should be deeply pondered by us. The love that the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And in that, When we recognize the love that he has for us, we also acknowledge the great breadth of effort that he went to to make it plain to us and the attention and time and all the things that were put in place so that we might be called the sons of God. Well, let's look also in the the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Gospel of John 17, verse 21. This passage records the prayer of Jesus just shortly before he went to the cross. And in verse 21 it says, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that 
they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now I'd like for you to note that, as I see it, there's two aspects to this love in verse 23. That thou hast sent me and hast loved them. Them is the believers, which is us, as thou hast loved me. So the Father loves us as he loves Christ. And then the second aspect in verse 26. That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. If we think of the first as being upon us, his love is upon us, and in verse 26, it's in us. And it should be both ways. We should be recognizing the love that the Father hath toward us. It can be an anchor for the soul. It should be. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. But the prayer also is that that love may be in them. That our love could be patterned after the love that the Father has for us. We should have that love likewise for those who are under us, our sons, or, as the scripture says, that love should be shed abroad to all. But as we are sons of God and receive that love, so when we are fathers, we should love with that same love. Now love is what makes all these others work. If we love our son, we'll be an example to him. And if the son loves the father, he's willing to take that example. Of course, this is uh, assuming that it's in Christ. Secondly, turning the heart. Turning the heart toward our son and likewise the son and or children toward the father is motivated by love we desire a relationship we desire to care for them 
And in the third point there under chastening, the father chastens the son whom he loves because he desires him to turn out well. And likewise, because the son loves the father, he is willing to receive that chastening as a necessary part of, of life experience. And all of the reluctance, both of receiving the chastening or of applying the chastening, is any hesitancy is overcome by love. If we properly love, then we will receive chastening and we will give chastening. So this last point is really the one that overshadows them all. Love. And I'd just like to emphasize again that we may not see or feel the love as it ought to be because we live in a world of mortals. And I would just acknowledge that I have come short in this matter of love and feel uh, feel admonished from the scriptures here. But I would also say that for those who feel they have not experienced the love of the Father as, as you would desire it to have been, just be assured that in Christ you will receive the love of your heavenly Father. As uh, it says in the Psalms, when my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. It tells us plainly that God's love uh, knows no boundaries as we in our mortality know it. He is always faithful. And in the example there of the father and the son and their relationship is a pattern that we can we can aspire to and, and apply our hearts to, to to love like like the father and the son. So may the Lord bless all of you fathers today to be inspired, to take courage, to uh, to be grateful for what your father did for you and has done, and also to be filled with gratitude of, to our heavenly father and the fact that he loves us as sons. May the Lord bless you with that.